Hello, welcome to Fin Insight, Baker McKenzie's Global Financial Institutions Industry Group Podcast. I am Chris Muir. I'm a senior associate in our Zurich office, working in the Compliance Investigations, International Tax, and FinTech Practice Groups. For this episode, we are going to cover the data journey map for virtual communication. We hope to give you practical insights on the use of virtual communications by financial institutions to strengthen your organization's capacity to respond, recover, and thrive as we move through the initial stages of the COVID-19 pandemic into what we hope will be a recovery and renewal phase. COVID-19 is making physical meetings more difficult or undesirable, and all of us regularly using virtual communications, with Zoom becoming a household name overnight. However, in adopting virtual channels to deliver products and services, financial institutions need to work carefully through issues touching on financial regulation, data privacy, and technology. Our cross-disciplinary experts at Baker McKenzie, from our financial regulatory, technology, and data privacy groups, have come together to develop a data journey map to help guide your organizations through these questions at a high level. In 10 steps, the map flags up considerations that should form part and parcel of your risk and compliance assessments with a view to mitigating the potential risks of supervisory intervention and litigation. You can find the full data journey map on our website, bakermckenzie.com. In this episode, experts from our global offices will discuss these steps and the corresponding issues arising. They will also share specific action items and relevant considerations from their jurisdictions. I'd like to welcome Stephanie Magnus, a partner in our financial regulation and enforcement practice based in Singapore, and Ken Chia from our data privacy and security practice group based in Singapore. So let's get started. So in adopting virtual channels to deliver products and services, let's look at the key considerations to ensure that they are compliant. So Ken and Steph, with respect to applicable laws and their supervisors, what are the common questions organizations should be asking? Yes, um, so in, it definitely in, in Singapore, we have um, one regulator, but many different laws <laughs> um, and regimes which apply. Um, and the regulators have issued, you know, specific guidelines for each of those type of uh, types of financial institutions. Um, there are more general ones about the use of, you know, uh, virtual technology in a sense, you know, cloud, etc. Um, uh, but they, they, you know, one of the questions you always have to figure out is like exactly is there anything specific which applies to you, uh, your particular situation. Yeah, as Ken mentioned, uh, regulators have been issuing specific guidelines and FAQs in respect of uh, how uh, companies can adopt virtual communications and channels. Given the uh, changes in the legislation and the moving uh, legislation around uh, during the COVID-19 crisis, uh, we would always recommend for financial institutions to always check back with their regulators to see whether the regulators have actually issued uh, new circulars or new FAQs, uh, uh, which could give them some guidance as to um, how to proceed uh, with their virtual communications. Great, thank you. 
With virtual communications, it can be easy to forget that borders in different jurisdictions are not also virtual. Can you talk us through some of the pitfalls with that concept? Yeah, this is a very interesting point. Um, and particularly in a regulated entity like financial institutions are, um, there is a regulatory requirement for regulated activities to be conducted onshore. And if, for example, um, I'm a fund manager and I am uh, uh, providing my fund management services, not in Singapore, but you know, in another jurisdiction, then we actually have a question as to whether I'm conducting fund management services in that other jurisdiction which I'm currently in. So while communications have gone virtual and cross-border, the legislation um, that uh, surrounding financial services and regulating financial institutions is not quite so cross-border, which means that you know, companies and financial institutions do need to look out for um, the various rules and regulations in the jurisdiction, particularly where the person is um, placed, uh, where the person is situated, um, to understand whether the regulators have any issued any guidance as to what sort of rules will apply uh, when uh, the person is conducting regulated activities from that particular jurisdiction. I think this has actually been a very live issue, uh, particularly when um, a lot of uh, employees were actually um, stuck in the jurisdictions uh, where they were in um, and then pro uh, travel ha was prohibited. So um, certainly the regulatory rules around uh, what you can actually do in jurisdiction uh, will be important for the financial institution to consider. And so regulators internationally have placed considerable emphasis on the need for systems to be robust and resilient to cyber attacks. With so many of us in remote working arrangements, what should we be thinking about? Yes, uh, when you're outsourcing you know, functions and it's choosing technical solutions, uh, organizations must definitely make sure that they've adequately assessed uh, whether that technology uh, meets the legal and security requirements, comply with, for example, guidelines of outsourcing and other guidelines issued by the regulators. Um, in this time, uh, we saw an uptick in COVID-19 attacks, yeah, attacks during the COVID-19 period uh, by various criminals. And the cybersecurity agency in Singapore actually stood up and had to you know, warn people uh, to take more care at, at, at this time. Yeah, as mentioned by Ken, uh, there has been um, an increased warning around cyber attacks and uh, cyber resilience. Um, in fact, I think empirically, the number of scams uh, done uh, through electronic means or online um, has actually increased. Um, and taking, taking it from another vein, financial institutions actually have had uh, to warn their employees as well as their customers uh, to continue to be more vigilant, uh, particularly where virtual communications now um, is the primary mode of communication. Oh, great. And so with any new technology, there seems to be a balancing between the new benefits that are offered and also the risks that are brought with that new technology. What sort of controls should organizations put in place and what do regulators expect from those organizations? Yes. So I think one regulators do expect 
people and understand you know what are the new risk uh, from any introduction new technology um, working from home essentially exposes more uh, touch points essentially endpoints to attack um, you know not only do you worry about your IT systems and in the workplace, but now you have to worry about somebody's unsecured Wi-Fi at home, <laughs> which you have, uh, you know, a, a bad password, for example. So, in terms of checks and balances, uh, the regulators will expect the appropriate officer uh, or oversight committee for the firm um, to have approved, you know, at least thought about issues and proved it's not uh, any, any new use, um, and obviously to be able to demonstrate. Uh, it compliance, you know, they have to document it as well. Okay, great. And since the beginning of the COVID-19 crisis and the move to remote working arrangements, there have been concerns around the ability of firms to properly supervise and monitor their staff, particularly those in customer facing or trading roles. Regulators expect firms to take steps to mitigate risks such as market conduct and mis-selling. Can you talk us through some of the considerations for virtual communications? Uh, yes. And might there be a solution around outsourcing? And what are the considerations there? Okay. So this is not so much outsourcing in the sense that, you know, it's your people working at home. And, you know, unlike sitting in the office, uh, you can make sure that they're only using your devices. Everything's recorded. Uh, you know, all calls go through a central exchange essentially you know uh, where you can monitor them uh, it's much harder to to do this at home um, and so some uh, people like MES have relaxed some of the, re the requirements saying yes you know you might not be able to record stuff like you would be able to uh, at work um, and but they would still expect you to you know either uh, record for example, your conversation, follow up in an email, this is what we discussed, etc. Um, so organizations will definitely have to make sure that they still maintain the ability to super adequately supervise uh, their personnel um, where they can you know, still apply the same technologies, record and retain it. But if not, uh, you know, look at guidance from the regulators to see what, at least the, whether the regulators have said anything about it, you know, uh, are there best practices which they should follow, or you know, are there workarounds uh, to, to that? As Ken mentioned, I think the expectation for from the regulators is to ensure that even in a virtual comms uh, situation, that your rules, policies, and governance processes are just as robust. So I think it's very important um, in these sorts of situations where people continue to work from home uh, that the institution um, consider what sort of governance processes need to be put in place uh, to make sure that their processes are as robust um, as when people are in the office. Um, certainly a little bit more difficult um, given the various means of communication that um, uh, traders or other regulated um, representatives may have, uh, but I think uh, that will be an expectation that the regulators do expect financial institutions to meet. Okay, thanks. Even prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, regulators were placing increasing importance on cyber resilience in view of the growing risk of cyber attacks as we move to a digital economy. 
The consensus is both that this trend has received new impetus and cyber attacks are increasing in number and impact. So what do regulators expect of organizations using virtual communications? Yes, um, so, you know, obviously in, in, in um, everywhere around the world, you know, people have encountered problems with not knowing how to use Zoom, for example. Um, you know, they didn't know, understand the security settings. Uh, and, you know, we had instances in Singapore where people kind of jumped into the meeting and started behaving inappropriately. <laughs> um, so, and there's also the risk of, you know, people essentially just eavesdropping uh, and getting access to confidential information, to custom information, you know. Uh, and so what organizations will need to do is Definitely, uh, one make people the users aware of all these risks. You know what they can do, should do, um, and finally also understand what happens if something goes wrong. Um, you know, if a virtual session suddenly com compromise, uh, if unauthorized persons join and intercept the call, um, you know what do you do? Um, I'll say, you know people will need to update their cyber hygiene practices to take into account the increasing use of, you know, all these virtual comms. Um, and so it's not just about, you know, uh, securing your hard disk and your, your thumb drives, but also your virtual comms nowadays as well. Yeah, it certainly seemed like everyone had to deal with a steep learning curve recently. Correct. And so we, we are all aware of the importance of data protection and the growing risks of enforcement actions, what are the data protection issues for organizations using virtual communications and how can they protect themselves? Yes, um, just like any other um, communication, um, you know, certain types of communications will contain personal information. Um, you could be discussing bank account details with your customer, for example, um, and obviously, you know, if somebody managed to intercept that, um, uh, you know, uh, essentially personal data could be compromised. So we haven't had um, a case uh, involving, for example, you know, <laughs> lacks poor Zoom uh, hygiene, for example, yet. Uh, but you expect regulators to at least uh, have they will ask you whether you've put in policies uh, in relation to you know, conduct of these virtual meetings. Uh, there may be additional notices. Uh, so if you're going to record this, for example, um, just like recording a normal call, yeah, if you're going, you know, again, I'll, I'll use Zoom as an example, you can record, but then everybody has to agree, um, to consent to the recording, otherwise they, they'll leave. You know, it's all those sort of things, but not every platform has that uh, functionality. So then the question comes in, you know, uh, do you need to give any additional privacy notices during the meeting? Um, and especially if you're going to be recording, because um, that record could be compromised, essentially, uh, you know, you probably need some uh, additional precautions to make sure that you know, you've saved it properly. It's just like any other the personal data you've secured it you know in electronic medium yeah, securely um, not and, and make sure that you know unauthorized people don't have access to that and certainly 
training for staff is important. So what are the key considerations for training staff in this new world of virtual communications? Hmm. So the increasingly, um, you know, it's becoming almost common practice. You know, I, I live on virtual concept, virtual meetings at the moment. Um, and I think the if you're on one platform only, it's not so bad. But, you know, I think I have probably used about four or five in the course of the day. And each one has got shortcomings and, you know, own limitations and different ways of working. So, you know, apart from the basic training to staff, um, you know, uh, how to use it, um, you know, what in particular do you need to worry about, um, you know, in terms of having waiting rooms, for example, to make sure that, you know, you only admit people who are authorized. Um, you know, it's all these things just trying to think about, you know, one, obviously you have an obligation to protect the data um, from not only hacking, but unauthorized access. So if somebody is listening into that call, you know, that's unauthorized access. Um, so it's just applying, uh, you know, the basic concepts, uh, which you've thought about into different situations. Um, and, and obviously, you know, the first thing regulators would, would ask is that find, you know, you have a policy. Well, firstly, do you have a policy? Second one, does anybody know about your policy? And, uh, you know, how do you monitor the people have been, uh, you know, doing the right thing uh, as well. Okay, great. And so a lot of our discussion is centered around how organizations operate day to day, but we can't forget that these organizations are offering products and services for sales so they can make money. Mm. So an organization that has been through all the steps that we've discussed today, how should they launch new products and services using virtual communications? Or what are the best practices? Yeah, one of the uh, things that we do need to consider, particularly within a financial um, institution space, is the offering of uh, products and services um, on a cross-border basis. And Singapore certainly is a regional hub uh, for a lot of uh, financial institutions, including banks, insurance companies, uh, fund managers, and other capital market intermediaries. Um, and... Typically, we do see Singapore um, as a hub for cross-border offering of products and services. Um, and given that, um, you know, physically there is an inability to fly in jurisdiction uh, to meet the clients, then there are certainly different um, ways or means that um, need to be deployed um, in this new world uh, that we see. Uh, for example, how do we actually do um, AML uh, KYC on a person that is not based in the same jurisdiction? Uh, would you then be able to use virtual comms to do that? Would you be able to get the same sort of robustness and levels um, as, as meeting a person physically face-to-face? These are certainly some of the things that our financial institutions do need to consider and perhaps adjust their uh, processes um, a little bit to ensure that business can continue, but um, in a different way and in a different world. Yeah. So from a privacy point of view, um, you know, if you're going to use a new technology platform, usually you would expect people to at least have some sort of privacy impact assessment. Um, you know, that's a kind of a tool which the regulators have been encouraging uh, people to use. 
um, so you understand you know what are the privacy risks, uh, how you mitigate them or eliminate them. And I'll see testing the experience before full deployment. Uh, we've had quite a few PDPC cases in, in Singapore where the error was not in the production system, but in the test system, uh, where, you know, which stayed on later on and there was an old admin password that was being used that people went into the training system. Um, so, you know, you have to treat the, the, the trials and training just as like you would uh, a serious full deployment, you know, making sure that you've uh, put all the protection in place. Like, like I said, you know, um, it's part of that uh, privacy impact assessment or security impact assessment or whatever you want to use, whatever framework you want to use. The main thing is to assess the challenges and the risk, uh, you know, and make sure that they've been dealt with before launch. Um, you know, they also user acceptance tests in, in a sense you can run as well. Um, so it's not just a, you know, whether the system works, but are the users comfortable with using it? You know, uh, are they going to break the system and making sure that, you know, when the, and all these reps use them, uh, they're using it properly as well. So that will be part of the testing. Okay, great. And taking that one step further and looking to the customers or potential customers, who would be using these products and services, is it necessary to manage expectations over the utility of using virtual communications with customers? Or what are the other best practices when dealing with customers? Yeah, like all things, uh, you know, consumer education, customer education is important. Um, and if you look at the regulators, you know, they place a lot of emphasis on, you know, uh, not only you making sure that your internal people uh, follow this, you know, follow all the best practices, but you educate customers, you know, on how they help themselves to uh, be safe, essentially. So again, not everybody knows how to use all these different platforms, whether it's WebEx or <laughs> whatever it is you might want to roll out uh, to them. Um, so there should be essentially, you know, kind of a maybe not a full. You know, you probably wouldn't have time to do a full training on them, but um, you know, highlighting to them, you know, what the key things they should be worried about. Uh, I'll see managing the expectations as well. You know, this is not going to be like, you know, you have to also explain the limitations to, to whatever platform you're using. So I think customer education um, is the key of uh, key to actually um, the deployment of new ways of uh, providing products and services. Those are yeah, great things to keep in mind. And so do you have any other final thoughts or key considerations that would be important to remember for financial institutions or other organizations? Yeah, so obviously, you know, they, it's good and bad. You know, financial institutions have always been, at least the regulators have always been ahead of the curve in a sense. You know, because just because of the uh, the risk uh, involved in exposing people's bank accounts, financial records, uh, you know, the, the amount of money involved. Um, so, it, you know, often when we're advising other clients in you know different industries, we're saying, well, if you want to look at something in a, the high standard, you're probably looking at the financial institutions um, you know, for for best practice, essentially. You know, for outsourcing, the association of banks have come up with their own, you know, outsourcing guidelines, you know, checklists, etc. Um, and and they have the resources to 
do all that. So for financial institutions, you have seen they, they have a high bar uh, to reach, uh, and the bar keeps on rising as well. Um, you know, so I, you know, whether it is um, you know following the model AI governance framework <laughs> because you know you're employing AI into your your products. Uh, uh, you know the regulators are going to expect you to essentially you know, hit those high bars uh, and and not just be like the mom and pop shop down the road. Um, so you know what's reasonable for a financial institution is usually way beyond what is reasonable for SME. Um, and I think they have to keep that in consideration. I they have to do more uh, at, you know, before hitting that bar. And thank you to all our listeners for joining us to discuss the data journey map for virtual communications. We hope that you found this high-level introduction helpful, but please do look at the map itself. There are separate versions for North America, EMEA, and Asia-Pacific, which are available on bakermckenzie.com. You can also find information on how to contact our panel experts here, as well as other key experts in your jurisdiction. If you found this podcast helpful, you may be interested to know that Baker McKenzie has produced a series of podcasts related to the theme of resilience, recovery, and renewal in the, the light of the COVID-19 crisis. Thank you for listening, and we hope you can join us for the next edition of FI Insight.